Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 222 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to open the show with a quote, but I can't attribute it to anyone because I don't know where it's come from, but I'm going to do it anyway. So here we go. If you want a typical result, you do the typical thing. If you want an extraordinary result, you do the extraordinary thing. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello, how are you? Oh no, something fell off the wall. I'm going to continue anyway, because this is live. It was my birthday Monday. I'm very well. I'm a year older, but I am well. And you know what? I'm so grateful that I got my birthday wish, which was that the audience enjoyed the first outing of my new comedy drama crunch now the feedback for the play has been so positive uh, up to date and although i'm absolutely knackered it's great that the investment of energy and effort over the past few years to bring this play to life has paid off now something else that can take a lot of energy and time but is absolutely worth the investment is networking and building business relationships. And the trouble is that we can often get this wrong or fall into some traps that sabotage our success or even give up doing it and sort of miss out on all the benefits down the line. And that's why in this Insight show, I've pulled together tips from four of my previous speaking club guests who are all powerhouse networkers. Each of them is an expert in creating value and building relationships. And what they share will make you grow your network powerfully and authentically so that your business or career prospers and you make some great friends along the way. But only if you put the stuff into practice, of course. First up is Dvorak. She's carved out a reputation as a networking guru and what she has to share about authentic networking is valid whether you're doing it online or eyeball to eyeball. And she's been featured in many publications and media such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, USA Today, Women's Health, Fast Company to name but a few. And do pay attention to what she's about to share about how you can network better, follow up better and all sorts of other stuff. Okay, over to Zavora. So we've already um, already got some tips from you, but could I get some more? What are your top tips for getting the most out of a networking event? So, so many things. Uh, one is to ask well-formed questions that uh, are going to get the conversation going. So let's take an ordinary kind of dull question, which is what do you do? It's very ho-hum, but also very typical. So it's very easy to turn these questions into something that's going to make the conversation a lot more dynamic, such as what's your favorite part of your work? Just a slight change, but a big difference in how the conversation is going to evolve. And all of a sudden the person's talking about something they're good at and they love and they're excited about. So that's one piece. Another, I have so many ideas. Another is 
uh, to again, avoiding the situation where you walk in, whether it's at a luncheon or a, a happy hour or a, a networking gathering, where you're walking in into a room full of people that are already engaged with each other and, and we feel really uncomfortable for good reason to jump in. So I recommend this kind of counterintuitive advice for people that are a little hesitant to go to networking events, uh, which is to arrive early instead of late. So if you arrive early, just a couple minutes early, you can do a few things. One is you can offer to help out. So if you volunteer at events, and that's something you can plan in advance or do spontaneously, instead of telling everyone how great you are, you're demonstrating it, how helpful you are by, by pitching in and also gives you something to do. It gives you a purpose rather than wandering around. Um, another thing about arriving early, if you're not volunteering, is that there's fewer people. That everyone is not already in groups. It's not crowded and noisy and loud. So instead, you can just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone else who's there, and it's a better atmosphere. So um, those, that's a couple of examples of yeah. advice. But the really main way to get something out of a networking event, uh, well, two parts. It's the beginning and the end. So first is to set your goal. A lot of times we don't do that. Like, what do I hope to get out of this event? Uh, because I hear some people, especially some strong extroverts, say to me, oh, Devorah, I'm an excellent networker. I can talk to anyone about anything. And so to this, I reply, that's lovely skill that you can talk to anybody about anything and that you enjoy being in crowded rooms of people spearing cheese. However, that doesn't necessarily translate into great networking. So what, think about why am I there? Because it's not to collect as many cards as possible. It's about making lasting connections. So my goal might be to meet one person who I feel a connection with and to exchange contact information. However, this brings us to the end, and that's following up. Because if you're not following up, you're not networking. So is your follow-up authentic? Is it um, customized? Do you remember each other a day later? Uh, so if you meet someone you really intend to follow up with, that you really feel connection to, after you say your farewell to that person, jot down a couple of notes. If they gave you a card, write it right there on the card. It's a great gift to yourself the next day because we tend to overestimate our own memories because we forget about 50% of what we hear within 48 hours. So I might have met you and thought you were fantastic and I'd love to go out with you for a lunch or a breakfast and uh, the next time, oh, was it Lisa or was it <laughs> Which one was it? So if you give yourself this little notes, then all of a sudden I can follow up authentically. I love that. There is that thing about the fortunes in the follow-up. You're absolutely right. I think that's something we just, for instance, from my own perspective, you're like, oh, I don't want to do it too quickly or bother people or, you know, you're worried about all sorts of things. But if it, if it is with the intention of simply keeping that connection going, then that should remove all of that stuff, I think, shouldn't it? Right, right. Actually, people ask me so much about follow-up that the new edition of the networking book has a whole new chapter on just oh, follow-up. And it's never too soon to follow-up especially since people do forget half of what they hear in a couple of days. So uh, and, but instead of thinking, I don't want to seem like I'm trying to take advantage of this person, in your follow-up, think, what do I have to offer? What can I do for this person? How can I be helpful to that person? Maybe it's a link to an article or connection to another person or um, something that makes them laugh or something that you're doing for that person. And then if you are asking for a future encounter, make it as easy as possible for that person to say yes. So myself is um, a lot of times I get requests from people that I have met or who've read a book or 
and they want to spend more time and they'll say, oh, you know, come, I, we go to dinner. And usually the answer is no. I mean, I just, there's, it's too much to take on for so many different people. But if they say, can I pick your brain for 10 minutes? I'm really interested in this particular aspect of what you wrote about. And it's very specific and it shows they've done their homework. And it's easy to do. It's much more likely to pan out. In one of the pieces of advice that resonated with me like ages ago, before I had a pro like you sort of like giving, giving some great tips was ask people questions because people love talking about themselves. So if you, if you ask people questions, then, then that's a great way to, to keep them interested in you if they're talking about themselves. Is that, is that still valid? Is it a good thing to do? It's interesting you said that. So I, I think that coming with some, like we talked about before, some interesting yeah a little bit different types of questions, planning those in advance before attending a program is fantastic. I also think it's really important to start when you don't know someone well yet with more general questions, Mm -hmm. because a lot of types of inquiries that extroverts and centroverts may think are completely comfortable to discuss with someone you just met, an introvert might find personal. So start with general questions and then let the other person decide how detailed they want to go in response and you'll be able to pick up on that. On the other hand, for introverts, uh, be prepared with with some answers to questions that you anticipate people might have because you don't want to have just a completely one-sided conversation where all you're doing is asking questions. And also be thinking about why the person is talking about what they brought up. So if somebody says to me, have you been on any interesting vacations this year? And I say, oh, yes, I went on a ride through Norway's upper areas of its whatever. What, what is Norway? A fjord. fjord. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, I've used this example again. A fjord. And, and then you've done the same thing. A lot of people think the great thing to do is jump and say, oh, yes, I did it. It was so wonderful. We went for a month and a half. And it was so, then all of a sudden, we're not really talking about my vacation anymore. <laughs> So be tuned in to how you build rapport with people. It's always by having done the same thing or having done something even better. It it might be really learning more about that person's experience. I love that. I did um, talk about that on a on a podcast I did. I read somewhere about you know that is our tendency to do that to jump in, but then we're making it about ourselves again. And also the you know we. I can't remember, I think it was a TED talk I was listening to where the, the person who thinks she's a radio interviewer, uh, name escapes me at the moment, and she said, you know, you think you're being empathetic, but you've never had the same experience as that person. So give them space to talk about their journey, you know, about yeah, many things. Yeah. And along those lines, if someone talks about something that maybe they're not happy about, like, oh, actually, uh, I'm between jobs right now, or whatever it is, something that someone might be uh, ambivalent about, uh, a lot of people's instinct is to sort of try and cheer them up or to tell them how that it's not so bad after all. And really all that's doing is devalidating that person's experience and yeah. saying not only are they not thrilled about whatever the situation is, but they're wrong for doing that. And it does not build rapport. Uh, yeah. Really, what is, builds much more rapport is to validate what they're saying and reflect back how they might be feeling. Like, oh, you know, seems like you're learned a lot from this or whatever, depending on what they're saying. So it takes really sharp focus on the other person and noticing what they are, the words they use and the w- whether they're... Um, 
sharing a lot or not, it, it, it tells us a lot about how to respond. And another thing you prepare yourself for is if you become a great listener like this and tune in, uh, someone who originally wasn't very talkative at all might suddenly just be talking a blue streak <laughs> because they feel comfortable with you. <laughs> I, I love that. You know, at the heart of everything that you're saying, I think that's coming through is, you know, I like that what you said about the question may not be comfortable for someone who's an introvert that you as an extrovert might think it's perfectly fine and it's really just about being considerate and thoughtful and intentional about the whole conversation and being in the present with that person that's kind of the heart of it or is that right that I've got that from you yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I, I agree with what you just said. And and also, you can be on the lookout for things that might be topics of conversation. For example, if someone is wearing something that's a little different or a little artsy, or that might be a topic of conversation, or if they're from somewhere that's interesting, somewhere you've never been or somewhere you have been. So picking up on little cues about the other person could also help you find what things to, to to talk about hope you enjoyed that and if you want to listen to the full interview uh, with devora there's a link to all of them actually in the show notes and this one with her is episode 128 next up is stefan thomas now stefan believes that putting effort into building and sustaining relationships at scale over time has benefits for every person whether they own their own business work for a company or do a mixture of both. But the trouble is, as Stefan says, what most people think networking is and what it actually is are two very different things. And you're going to get his take on what it actually is right now. One of the things that I'm also interested in and think potentially people might either not do enough of or get it wrong are the getting the balance right with one-to-one follow-ups. Um, first of all, I guess the question to ask you immediately springs to mind is, would you say yes always to a one-to-one or should you be a little bit discerning? I don't know whether you've spotted it, but I wrote a post about this on LinkedIn literally two days ago or at the weekend or something like that. Not necessarily about one-to-one follow-ups, but the sheer volume of LinkedIn messages which I get asking if I can have a one-to-one. And, and you know, I could make a full-time job out of doing that. So I don't say yes to every LinkedIn connection who immediately asked me to book into Calendly um, and use their link for a 15-minute chat. Now, looking at your and, and, and my situation, we built up some rapport and engagement. And at some point, you very flatteringly asked me to, to, to come onto this show. So of course I, I agreed to that. What so many people do, their first LinkedIn message is, I want to sell this to you. Can you book in 15 minutes so I can sell it to you? The answer to that is typically no, until and unless I, I know the person. In networking, we can join up both of those conversations that we've just had. So for example, if I go to a networking event now and someone wants a one-to-one with me and we've already been at the networking event, we've built up some rapport, we can do it over Zoom, which is super efficient for me, then yes, I'll probably do it. Um, With the business shows, one of the things that I'm doing is saying, hey, I'll be at this business show in this city on this date if you want a one and one to one and you can get to the business show let's let's do it let's have a coffee there so i'm using my time twice 
I'm at the business show for a particular reason. I'm going to be speaking there. I'm going to be speaking for 45 minutes in total. So I've got plenty of time for one-to-ones with people. And, and that's really sensible use of my time. With, with most people at networking events, to, to answer your, your actual question, yes, I will accept the one-to-one with them after we've, we've had our initial chat at a networking event because we, we've got something in common. We've both been to that networking event and it gives us an opportunity to, to get to know each other a bit better. And are there some tips that you can give people for handling one-to-one follow-ups in terms of, you know, it does, there is, maybe it's just me, <laughs> I've had them where it can be a little bit awkward. I actually love, I'm curious by nature anyway, which is why I enjoy doing these interviews. And I love finding out about people. So I spend quite a lot of time asking questions naturally. And then probably I, you know, there's maybe a few minutes left they go oh well I should ask about you you know what you do and I'm and I so I'm not sure I necessarily handle those right um but yeah it'd be good to get some tips for getting that you know that balance of is it all about just asking questions should you be pitching your stuff how how should you handle it there are tons of opinions on this and in my opinion you're handling it perfectly mainly because that's exactly what I do. I spend my one-to-ones at networking events and outside of networking events finding out about the other person, being interested in them. I've written tons about Dale Carnegie and how to win friends and influence people. And you'll win more friends in two months by being genuinely interested in them than you will in two years by trying to be interesting to them. And what what most people feel that they should do in a one-to-one is, is have an elevator pitch and have all of this stuff to throw at other people about what we do. And, and yet what, what I have genuinely found to be much more productive is to ask a ton of questions, be genuinely interested in, about the other person. If, if that helps me to find a connection for them or something for them that, that might be valuable, that leads to the next part of the relationship. But then we're connected. All that I'm ever looking to do, whether it's at a networking event or at a one-to-one, is start that little conversation. If if we view every relationship and every conversation as long-term, there's plenty of time to introduce what we sell in a more meaningful way once we've got to know someone. So um, relevant examples. You know, once, once I've actually really got to know someone over a period of time, and, and if I've then provided some value in that relationship as well, maybe in the form of connections or referrals or whatever, if if I then phone that person and say, hey, mythical Steve, um, I always use Steve for some reason, you know, we've been talking for, for a couple of years. I'm launching this new service. You know, you said you had this problem. I really think that this new service would be appropriate for you. Have you got 10 minutes? Most people say yes to that because it's coming from a, a place of I've genuinely listened to you and actually I genuinely believe this is right for you because I know you rather than what most people do is think, think that they should pitch at the first one-to-one before they even know someone. To me, that's been a, a much more profitable and enjoyable approach along the way because at the very worst, I get to find a ton of interesting stuff about other people. Things that I saw that you had in your book was uh, the longer speaking slots at network meetings. Now, this is something obviously I'm I'm interested in. I just wondered, 
to get your view with your networking experience on how important you think it is for people to take advantage of those longer speaking slots in network meetings? So what's happened for me is that I started speaking at networking events and you, at first, because the real guy hadn't shown up. Um, so, you know, oh, God, the speaker's not here um, and we've got 15 minutes to fill. So I'll say something about Twitter because in the early that, that was how I got started. So I started doing the speaking slots at, at networking events. And then I was at one of the business shows um, at some point because I, I used to run stands at the business shows as well to promote our networking events. And the real speaker hadn't shown up and I can't remember what she was meant to talk about but basically someone said look we've got a room full of people who are expecting a speaker do you fancy doing it and I was heavily pushed into doing it and so I did it and then got a regular gig speaking for free at, at business events as well as networking events and did a few more and got to do a really big one in London and then someone came up to me and said, how much would you charge to come and speak at our conference? Um, and someone spotted me speaking there and said, do you fancy writing business networking for dummies? So I, I would say to anyone, take the speaking slot at networking events. It's a really supportive environment to start your speaking career, to listen to the feedback. It's typically free to, to get speaking engagements at networking events. Loads of networking events are always on the lookout for speakers. You'll soon get to know whether you're good or not. I've done something over 500 speaking slots at networking events over the years from standing there shaking, reading from an A4 piece of paper um, to now being paid to speak at conferences. And as I said, in 2019, that, that was the biggest part of my income. It's a useful business skill to be able to speak uh, about your um, about your business. And if we talk about the no like trust, you you trust the person who's standing up and speaking about their business. It elevates that trust for some particularly intangible reason. But if someone's up there and, and talking about their stuff and talking about it intelligently it massively accelerates how much you trust them. Um, I hope I've really sold that because it's, I, I know that a ton of people are, are really nervous about speaking, but it is something that will really accelerate your business, particularly if you're in the business to business services, which a load of us are, it will really accelerate it if you get good at speaking at it. And, and speaking at networking events is a really useful platform for, for practicing and rehearsing. Before I ever go onto a big stage, um, I, I spoke at the Business Networking Show a few weeks ago, biggest stage that, that, that I'd had in, in a couple of years because of, of lockdown. A few days before that, I did exactly the same presentation to a virtual networking event because it gave me the chance to rehearse my material in, in front of a, a, an engaged live audience. So... I use networking events now as as a rehearsal stage, and it's it's really useful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Curious as well. I mean, I'm absolutely in agreement with you on on that. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to ask you was, 
from your perspective, I'm a big advocate of storytelling. It's kind of like the bread and butter of what I do in speaking and marketing. And I wanted to get your view on how important storytelling is uh, for successful marketing. I've always used stories instinctively with at first not really understanding the the science or the thinking behind it or how much marketing prof professionals advocated it. I always found it was quite useful to, um, if, if I had a big concept, to break it down into some sort of story that the audience could come with me on and would, would illustrate the concept to them in, in a really simple way. So that's how I've always used stories. So for example, th th this conversation has, has come up on LinkedIn just today. I will talk about how when I was an estate agent, I was used December when other estate agents were asleep or, or tidying their office or going, you know, putting up the Christmas tree. I would use December to build our business for next year and how you can steal a march on your competition for being active at the times when when everyone else is quiet. So that's a, an example of a story I've used today to perfectly illustrate how how I've stolen a march on my competition in the past. I think that's how I've always tried to, to do things. One of the, the most famous, for me, stories which I use is my very first networking event, and it's it's out there on, on video all over the internet, um, and, and illustrating just how terrified I was at my very first networking event. And that story really resonates with people, and it, it gets people, and people come up and say to me you know we want you to speak at our conference will you promise that you'll do the Jamie McIntyre routine the bit about the guy who shouted at your networking event and so that's illustrated to me just how much these these stories work um and how they make for me I try and make a business lesson become really real for people by bundling it up with a, a story from my past that's that's what I've always tried to do that's really helpful cool okay the full episode with Stefan is 201. Hopefully you got some really useful stuff from that excerpt. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, do go and listen to the full length one. Um, and now Peter Beaumont is my next expert. Peter has led the marketing teams for some of the most iconic global brands in a career spanning over 80 countries. In that time, he figured out the secret to managing and building strategic business relationships. And now he speaks and consults with other companies using his six-step process to help them develop more powerful connections and take things to the next level. And that's what he's talking about right now. So was there a defining incident there or a sort of series of things that sort of made you say, this is not, the way things are or the way things, the, the sort of hmm. traditional way we handle things is not working. Was there something that triggered you? Yes. A lot of people say, well, good question, because they're either playing for time or they know they can answer it, right? <laughs> so, but that is a good question because uh, there's a couple of layers to it. But I'll give you the first layer, which was we were trying to get into Minute Maid Orange, which is very famous in the States. Uh, if you travel here, you know that. But not really in Europe, um, or not so much. It's got it's got more more known now. One of my biggest countries. I looked after about thirty countries when I worked for the Coca Cola company for the McDonald's business, and I had a team based in Vienna. 
and you'll probably hear more about them as we this thing unfolds. But one of the things, our challenges was we were trying to take uh, the existing orange juice, which they had out and put Minute Maid orange juice in. And so we were talking to the guy that we normally talk, spoke to who did all the supply chain buying around Coke. And so we were whining and dining and taking him out to lunch and taking him through why he should do it. And, and we weren't getting anywhere. And we didn't understand why, because we were at a relatively good price. Uh, the, the product's brilliant. Um, we could get it easily into Germany through uh, Cargill's, which Cargill was one of their suppliers. So everything operationally was fine. The price was fine. But why weren't we getting anywhere? And we suddenly discovered when we sat down to analyze it that we may have been speaking to the wrong person. Now, this, this, by the way, happens a lot, right? And we just don't know it. And we write it off to... But we discovered through the back door that we were actually talking to the wrong person. And so we started mapping, actually sitting down. And I remember it very clearly over a couple of uh, Munich beers, sitting down on the tablecloth, which was, you know, was paper, mapping the relation who we actually spoke to and and we realized we had a gap here we weren't speaking to the right person and that was probably a light went on for me going well god that's happening with this how often is this happening in my other 29 countries and how do i know whether we got the right relationships and so when i fly in and see the account manager who looks after mcdonald's for slovenia or slovakia or india how do i know he's got the right relationships and he's speaking to the right people as I said, there's one layer, and then there's a second layer, and I could go even deeper. But that's really what started me on the, do we really know what we're doing with relationships and how we're evaluating them, and are we reaching the right people? Cool. Yeah. So I guess that leads me on to, in your opinion, and I guess that's an example of where it wasn't, but are all relationships equal in business in your experience? No, because um, some will be... Uh, much more important to you than others. Now, should you treat everybody equally? Absolutely. Should you <laughs> should you pretend that somebody is more important than another? Probably not a good idea, especially if the other person's around. So, so, uh, but but to answer your question seriously, there are obviously more important relationships within a client or customer than there are others, and those are normally obviously the decision makers. But they can also be people who say no rather than yes. Because there's, the, and what we tend to do is deal with the people we know that say yes. We forget about those people in the back who sit in a meeting and go, oh, I'm not so sure about this. Maybe we shouldn't have them, you know. And what's their game and what's their agenda and why would they not want to agree? And we forget to even think about that. So, yeah. so is that is that sort of targeting influencers that have yeah. say, yes, you know, rather than the actual decision makers? So the ear of the king rather than the king, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's well put. So um, here's what we, what I've practiced and start doing. We have four categories of relationships. Categories, roles, I should say, perhaps better. One is a user, somebody who really influences the use of your product or service. So example, Coca-Cola, this guy that we were talking to definitely had an influence on whether what packages we went into, where we would distribute all the rest of it. Somebody will be a, then there's a gatekeeper and that, that's the person who says no. You can't say yes to anything, but can say no. So that may be somebody who's been reached by Pepsi through the back door, as an example to carry on with McDonald's, and the price is even lower and they perhaps have got a hidden agenda to get Pepsi in because they can prove that they've saved the company millions of dollars, right? So they're saying no, whereas the other guy is saying yes. So you've got to un unearth these gatekeepers and say no. The third role is, well, there's four altogether, but the third one would be a coach. Very rare to find, but they understand 
where the win-win is for both sides of the equation, if that makes sense. So they've normally been with the company quite a long time and they understand what a win-win is. Then the fourth role would be something like um, budget. So if somebody you control, it's, it's sometimes called the economic buyer in some terms, but it's the person who has decides on whether they're going to spend that money or not and whether it will deliver, or the other way around, whether it's going to deliver more profit than perhaps any existing product, service or idea does. So, so that's someone who has the purse strings and looking at either from, a, from an ROI perspective or a cost perspective. Yeah, brilliant, exactly, absolutely. Could be both sides of the equation. Yeah, is it going to help our cash flow? Is it going to reduce our cash flow? Is it going to help in our long-term revenue or profits? And by the way, at the end of the day, no companies don't make decisions. People do. Yes. Sometimes we look at it as a company decision. It's never a company decision. Yeah. You know, it's always down to people at the end of the day, and we, sometimes we forget that. And that's why the relationships are so are so important. So how easy is it for us to be able to identify the people in those roles? Uh, if we're approaching a company cold, is it is it more for people who are already having a working relationship B2B or, or even, I guess, B2C, but um, B2B, then we sort of work things out. Or is there a way to look at it up front and try and decipher who those people in those roles are? The latter. So I, I think um, I'll go back to uh, what I said earlier about mapping. When we had this particular issue and we started mapping it on a tablecloth, fortunately paper, and it wasn't marked and we could take it with us by the way it was really really funny to the restaurant guy can we just tear this up take it with us yeah sure sure um he had enough beers so <laughs> and a good tip so <laughs> we, you're good so um when we started doing that it was very rud- rudimentary as you can imagine um <laughs> it's not it wasn't exactly an excel spreadsheet but that's where we took it to so we took it back to the office and said well how can we because there were two axes an x and a y axis had the, the, the people that we were talking to down the y-axis, which goes down the left-hand side. And then across the top, we had the people that in our organization, and so the set where the cells met would be that's the person that you contacted in, in the company. Or, and so then we started thinking, well, look, you know, now we've got the cells lined up. How do we evaluate how good our relationships are? So we came up with a color coding system, which is traffic lights, really. You know, green's really good. Uh, yellow's kind of iffy and red's weak. Um, but you've got to define what a weak or a strong relationship is, so, you know, because how yeah. long is a piece of string, right? So we came up with our own classification, which was, I believe, strong at the time. And it, it, depending on the companies I've been working with, that classification is adjusted because it yeah. depends what their sales cycle is, how often they see the customers. Right? So the one we came up with is, does this particular person call me twice in a six-week cycle and one of those calls asked me for advice and I reach out to them four times so that was the original classification we started with and that was a strong relationship and probably still is um and then you once you've established a strong one it's easy to to knock it down to what the weak one is never hear from them okay well that's weak (laughs) (laughs) so so, uh, that's that was the rudiment that was the start and then we started moving it out from there and we integrated so now we've got a color coding and we know where we now roughly know how weak or strong our relationships are for each people and you have to have everybody involved obviously that's on the account to do that because you do it together and then you start saying well now what roles do those people play before i just went through with you 
And so that's in another part of the grid system on the spreadsheet. And then it's really, really interesting because what happens then is you go, okay, so let's look at all our greens. Oh, my God, we got no greens with anybody who looks after the budget. Mm-hmm. We got no greens with anybody who looks – we don't have a coach. We got reds for somebody who's a user. You know, so you can see how you can – just by looking at it, but this map, it's a bit – forgive the trite um, – comparison it's a bit like you know what's your destination and how do you get there on a gps system what does the picture look like and so then what we would do is take a note of all the things that were problems that i just gave you yeah. examples of and then then the real work starts which is okay if that's the current situation how do we change that what things that have you done in your career and in, in your consultancy when when these gaps have been identified to start developing those strategic partnerships? Another good question, because you can map it out, but at the end of the day, you've got to actually make it work with human being to human being. Yeah. So um, there's a variety of ways of doing that. I mean, I always was a little bit more, I mean, obviously, everybody does the lunch and the dinner thing and the golf but but one of the things that um w- that was taught to me very early on when i was working for coke out of uh, shepherd's bush were we uh, beach and foods in those days were the, the one of the franchisees for coca-cola products and i was charged by ralph cooper who was then the division president uh, peter i want you to live with those guys i'm like okay um so what does that mean no, i just want you to live with it okay fine so i'll interpret that so what he meant was, I want you to be an extension of them so that we start to have more of a say as the franchisor of what they do with our products. And this is a real problem in franchising generally, by the way. The tail often ends up wagging the dog because they get so powerful, they start telling the people who actually own the brand name and the rights what they, sh- what they should be doing, right? And Coca-Cola's gone through that cycle many times. What he was telling me to do is get, get to know them. So I did what was as now on the news called embedding. I embedded myself. I actually got a desk and my own extension number and lived three days a week in their office. And so I, I would get invited to all sorts of meetings that I wouldn't normally get invited to because, hey, Peter, why don't you come in? And so you, you suddenly become part of their organisation and understand what they're facing. And, and often I believe, you know, you, when I've done workshops on building relationships, I talk about a triangle, and the triangle's in uh, uh, five phases. It starts, you become, you're a vendor at the very bottom where you just supply, and you work your way up through various stages until you're that favourite term that we always we use now, which is a trusted advisor. But a trusted advisor is, will tell you about things on your business that are, and let's take Coca-Cola as an example, that are nothing necessarily to do with Coca-Cola. We used to advise them often on their marketing because that was an incredible expertise in the Coca-Cola company. So we used our expertise just outside of just soft drinks to help them look at things in a different way. And that's that's when you really start to become very strategic. And, and so one of the ways of doing that was embedding and understanding their business. There's various others. We take them on factory visits. One of the biggest things we did with them, which really built the relationship, and they moved into 20 countries, which I was associated with all of those, before they probably would have done, because we took them there and introduced them to people, because we'd already been there. The bottling system has been around for ions, right? And so we already had a de- an infrastructure and we knew the politics. We, we lent McDonald's Russia sugar because they ran out, because Russia back in 
the 90s wasn't ex wasn't exactly letting you import easily and so they were running out so we, we lent them some <laughs> sugar we did all sorts of things that were way outside the norm and and it became as a result it became very much a strategic partnership but it was built on those relationships on making you know because that doesn't happen just because you let's have a strategic relationship with mcdonald's it doesn't happen that way it's, it's got to be done person by person so that this is the thing because there's so many platitudes about human to human and you know people by people but often it's a surface lip service to it rather than doing the work a to sort of strategically map it out which is what you're suggesting people do but then putting in the graph to, to build those connections and deepen well, those relationships there's two things that come to mind as a result of you just saying that what one is you have to be genuine about the relationships you know otherwise yeah, people are not stupid they they see through it straight away but the second thing is it occurred to me i didn't finish off the story of what we did okay so we mapped out what the situation was and what we needed to do about it to become strategic. A lot of people can get there, but it's the next piece that's really important. And the next piece is, okay, so what are we going to do about it? What are the goals? Like me, you've probably seen a, a zillion business plans. I have not seen any business plans except ours that involved relationships, that involved how you're actually going to work with people that actually will make a difference to what you're trying to do. So our business plans, uh, had an, an, it instigated this relationship piece. And the relationship piece was not just the map, but it was, okay, here's our goals, our quarterly goals. Now, we had that relationship was red and we understood he looks after budget. Our goal is to move that to yellow between now January and March. So we got, come up with these goals, which we'd have to make sure were, were realistic because when you're trying to move relationships, you're talking about building trust and respect. That doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's got to be worked at. And it's, as I said earlier, it's got to be genuine. So the second part of that was, okay, so what are the key initiatives going to be to achieve that? And so what I saw with some of my countries was I'll have lunch with Fred every other week, you know. I'll take him out on the golf course. I'm like, yeah, that's good. Fine. A, you should be doing that anyway. <laughs> but B, what are you going to do to really – because that isn't going to move the needle. What are you going to do? Let's get creative about this. So we came up with things like, well, has he ever seen a factory? Has he ever seen a plant? Why don't we organise a plant visit for those guys to come to Coke and see how we – and then, by the way, why don't we go to their place? And so you see where this is going. You start to go a little bit differently than the norm. Yeah, you may still do the lunches, but is that really going to move the needle? No. Wow, that was useful, wasn't it? Lots of good stuff there. And if you want to hear my full interview with Peter, then head over to episode 143. My last expert is the wonderful Brandon Fong. He is doing great things and his podcast, Seven Figure Millennials, is definitely worth checking out. Now, when Brandon was little, he learned some business lessons from his parents that enabled him to master three of the most important skills that an entrepreneur needs for success at a young age. And then at 22, using those skills, he made a connection that would change his life. And he's continued to build on those skills. And today, he is on the way to creating a seven-figure business and is also helping other entrepreneurs use his magic connection method to develop relationships 
that will change their lives too. And he's talking about all of that right here. What interested me as well was that one of the things that you talk about is about adding value to people and the attitude that you come in with. When you were that 16-year-old or when they were that 22-year-old, you know, how would right. you approach that? A lot of people that are starting out in speaking or in business that listen to this podcast may have that fear that they've got nothing to offer um, yeah. to, to be able to connect with people. What would your advice be in, in, that, in that realm? So I'm going to give you a really interesting answer. And I guarantee this is not anything that anybody would expect. I'll, I'll explain something first called the Ikea effect. Mm -hmm. So there was a study that was done on Ikea furniture. I think I might be getting this wrong, but the, the general idea will be right. And they basically found out that people liked Ikea furniture or uh, Ikea products more than other products. Do you have any guesses, Sarah, as to why people value the Ikea furniture more? I think I know the answer to this. Go ahead. Why, why do you think it is? Or why, what is the answer? I think it's because they, they take part in building it and creating it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And there's, so there's, there's many other things that are like this. Like, I don't know if you have them in the UK, but there's a, a thing called Build-A-Bear here. And like, yes. and so these are like little kids can go in and you pay a crap ton of money for this stupid bear, but like you get to, you pay more for it because you pump the fluffing into it and you put a little heart in it. And it, makes it more, <laughs> yeah, it makes it more valuable, right? And so the reason why I say that is because I think one of the ways that people don't realize that you can add value is to be a person that accepts feedback and then shows and expresses gratitude for the feedback that you were that you were given and showed the impact that it makes because it's like Sarah if I listen to your podcast and I said hey I listened to this guy on the show it was super valuable and I reached out to you and I said Sarah thank you so much this is how it impacted my life blah 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 did that give you value it gives people value to know that their work is being taken and actually used so that was that was one of the ways that I I've always considered me to add value to people even though it's not a traditional way of adding value is like I would I would ask good questions I would get key takeaways and things that I could go and implement and I would go and implement them and then just be insanely grateful for the opportunity and what they taught me. And like, so it's kind of a strange way. Like, how did you add value? Like that was the way I was adding value is like people saw that like it was making a difference. They saw how grateful I was. I always write thank you notes and that kind of stuff. And, and really just showed that I applied everything that they did. And I think that that was one of the ways that I've just always been able to add quote unquote value to people is just by being extremely grateful for, for the, the relationship that I have with them. That's brilliant. And it's absolutely true. I mean, most people will go into business to make money, but underneath that is also to have an impact and make a difference. And, you know, people talk about legacy and all that good stuff. And it's true. Nothing puts a smile on your face. Well, for, for me, it's getting feedback to know that you helped someone and helped change someone's life in some way. So that's, that's a brilliant piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate yeah. that. Cool. Should do more of that myself. And so basically, yeah, you mentioned Jonathan Lever. I don't, I'm, I know quite a lot of people, you know, in the online space and, and so on, but I haven't come across him. I was curious, what were you reaching out to him for? So, so Jonathan is, uh, he's one of the top thought leaders in the accelerated learning and memory space. So it's like, if, if you've heard of the people that can memorize a deck of cards in like 12 seconds or something crazy like that, they're not born with crazy memories. They've actually trained themselves to do those crazy memory feats. But if you're listening to this right now, you probably don't want to memorize a deck of cards, but you do want to remember the names of the people that you meet or the books that you're reading. So Jonathan, in, in his courses, in his accelerated learning and memory courses, he took the processes that these world memory champions are doing to memorize 
thousands of digits of pi or like this this exact order of a deck of cards and applied it to helping you to actually remember the things that you want to remember so um he's not as big in like the online marketing space but like if you if you look into like the the accelerated learning space jonathan's one of the the big people in there but anyways he had a podcast at the time called becoming superhuman now called Superhuman Academy, and he actually just finished at 300 episodes and put a pause on it. But uh, I was a huge fan of his podcast. I, I just w- loved what he represented. I loved learning myself, and I loved the kind of people that he had on the show. And I just thought that I had this strategy I teach people called the slipstream technique. It's like, instead of reinventing the wheel and trying to figure out where you want to go, why don't you just find somebody who's exactly where you want to be in your career and your health and relationships and find out a way to, to partner and work with them. And so that I viewed Jonathan as somebody that had a, a, he had an incredible audience, he was making a big impact, and he was just somebody I wanted to learn from. So I ended up writing what I consider to be my first magic connection method email, which is the, the process I told you I created. Um, but like, I reached out to him and said, you know, thank you so much for putting this podcast together. I loved uh, the episode you did with Noah Kagan, and I specifically liked X, Y, and Z. Here was the results I got from it. Thanks so much. Um, besides, wanted to share that with you. I ended up finding a few things on your site that I could help. Yeah, I don't remember what the specifics were, but I created like a irresistible offer for him. And then I said to him, like, I don't want to be paid for it. I want to do it 100% for free. And if you don't like my work, I'm not going to be offended at all. No harm done. Like, we'll just part our separate ways. But if you do want to find out more about it, then maybe we can have a conversation about what it would look like moving forward. And so, yeah, that one small email turned into me doing several small projects, which turned into me running his marketing and managing his email list of over 100,000 people and, and getting into Genius Network and all that other crazy thing. So mm-hmm. I truly believe that you're just one connection away from the next level in your business, in your career, in your life, whatever it is. I've always found in my life, I shared the story earlier about connecting with my first mentor that that helped me fundraise for that trip. Her name was Brenda Campbell. She was the first person that showed up in my life. And then I've had several others. Jonathan was a really big one. And then I have a, an incredible mentor and, and partner, uh, business partner in my life right now. Her name is Jules Duncan. And like, it's always been one person for me. And so I think that if you're going to master a skill, you know, learning how to unlock those relationships is really just absolutely one of the most powerful things that you can have. And I was interested in your view on, you know, I guess you started off at 16 when you were doing sort of face-to-face networking. A lot of stuff happens over social media these days. Do you think it hinders or helps authentic relationship building? I think it does both. Um, and I'll answer that in, in two ways. I think from one perspective, it depends on what side of social media you're on. I leverage social media as a producer of content, not as a consumer of content. And so I think that you can really develop relationships at scale with thousands of people at a time if you're a producer of content. If you're a social media user that's sending, your thumb is getting sore from scrolling all the time, then I do think that it distances us from the real relationships because it's like if you're spending all your time on social media, you're not developing relationships with people face-to-face. So I, I think that's my first answer to that question. Does it help or hinder? I think it depends on if you're a consumer, if you're a producer of content from one perspective. From another perspective too, I think that it does help building authentic relationships because what, how blessed are we to be in a world where I can sit and I can do research on anybody and figure out what's valuable to them and make a more valuable conversation based on what I know is valuable to them. And so that's another thing that I think is really important about social media is that we now have access and an understanding of a deep level of what's important to people. And you can show up to a relationship knowing what's more valuable to them than if you were to just go in cold. So I definitely think it, it's about the to- how you leverage the tool, right? It's, it's the same thing for anything. I was watching a a YouTube video the other day about somebody that 
he was an intern and he had a $30,000 camera versus somebody that had years of experience and they had a $300 camera and they compared their footage side to side. And like the person with a $300 camera did a better quality job than the person with a $30,000 camera. So it's about how you use the tool as much as it is about the tool itself. So I think that it definitely depends on how, what perspective and what side you're taking on the relationship. Yeah, I think, I think from my perspective, I think it's really important still to try and make genuine connections on social media because yeah. you feel there is a lot of pressure to try and sort of make contact with lots of people. But still, I guess there's a benefit from picking a few people to really, you know, build strong relationships with you either go broad or you go deep, I guess. And I, what's, have you got a view on that? Yeah, believe it or not, I think there's a way to do both. Like I have this process, the, the magic connection method process. It's a, it's a hundred percent. I mean, if you can tell from the conversation so far, like I believe in creating authentic and genuine relationships with people, but I have a process that allows me to do that at scale. Um, and, and it's not copying and pasting the same message. It is, it does take more time because you have to research the person. You have to customize it. You have to make sure it's valuable for them, but there is a way that you can actually do it at scale while simultaneously making sure that it is something that's valuable. So I can do, I can do a high, high level version of the magic connection method and I can go a lot more in depth depending on it. So we'll, we'll go super high level. And if we want to do a separate version, we can go super in depth for people, how they can use this, but it's very simple. There's three parts to a magic connection method email, or like we were talking about before about a a message on a a social media platform. So it's not email specific, but Mm. we'll just stick to emails for this, for this example. So three parts to it, hook, irresistible offer, no oriented question. And the whole goal of the magic connection method is simply to get people to respond to you. That is it. So many people, I feel like they try to say, Hey, book a call with me or check out my site. And it it leaves people confused. You just want to get people to lean in. So that is the whole goal of this process is to get people to respond to your first message. So the first part is the hook. Biggest mistake people make in the, in the very first sentences of an email is they make it 100% about them as in like the person that's reaching out. So you see this all the time, Sarah, I guarantee your inbox or your LinkedIn, it's filled with, hi, my name is Brandon Fong and I've done blah, 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 blah. I have a company that's done blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm a badass, you know, or, you know, it's just like, it's like at this point, you, it, it pushes you further away because you don't really care. You don't even know why you should listen to this person. That doesn't matter. So what you have to do in the very beginning is make it about them. So some ways that you can do that, do you have a mutual connection? Did you, did you get results or value from something that they've shared? Do you respect or admire the company that they've created, the company they work for? Something that is a genuine compliment that you can give someone, one to three sentences. Don't go beyond that. Otherwise, it's just you start looking weird. If you write a book on how, how good somebody <laughs> is, then, then, that, then, that, then that gets creepy. So genuine authentic. Let me, let me make sure that uh, I'm, I'm coming from a, a place of like, I actually researched you and this is about you. Then I'll transition besides wanting to share that with you. I did want to, I, I do have a quick question for you. And then you go into an irresistible offer. So like, depending on the person that you're reaching out to, how can you create something that is truly irresistible where it, it has a potential of a huge win for them? It's very frictionless. It doesn't require a lot of work for them to actually say yes or move forward to it. And there's a big difference between an irresistible offer and a normal offer. And since this is the abbreviated version, we can, I won't go into as many details, but irresistible offer. So how, what the person that you're creating for, can you, can you help them make more money? Can you save them more time? Can you provide them with the resources that would be valuable for them? Something along those lines and make it very easy for them to get. And then the last part is the no oriented question. So I used to do yes 
oriented questions, but we've talked about Chris Voss already. So I'll explain why, but like, I used to say like, are you interested? So it'd be like, Hey, Sarah, listen to the podcast. I, I was super, I found so much value in this specific episode. Besides I want to share that with you, you know, irresistible offer here. And then at the very end, instead of saying, are you interested in hearing more about it? I'll say, would you be opposed to blah, 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 or would it be ridiculous if I, and so that's a no oriented question instead of a yes oriented question. And I'll explain why. So Chris Voss, who I learned this from, he wrote the book, never split the difference that we talked about before. He's an ex FBI hostage negotiator. So this is the dude that's in the bottom of a basement with 20 hostages and $30 million, and he's going to blow up the place. Like, what do you say to to make that guy not do that? And what he learned um, is that at the end of the day, we have a finite amount of yeses that we can give to someone, right? So because every time you say yes, it means you're giving away your time, it means you're giving away your energy, it means you're giving away something. But at the same time, saying no makes us comfortable, we feel secure, we feel safe when we say no. So now, now what he teaches is to ask no oriented questions. So would it be a bad idea if would you be opposed to would it be ridiculous if I so now instead of forcing it on somebody, it's getting them to lean in and making it their decision. So would it be a bad idea if I sent over these resources for you to check out? And then as the person receiving that email, it's like, no, it's not a bad idea. Let me know more about it. And then, and then you can respond back and open the door to actually have me a conversation with somebody. So that's it at a super high level. You show that you're really interested in somebody with a hook. You give them something that's super valuable to them. And then you, you get them to reply by asking a no-oriented question at the end. And that's the magic connection method. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's cool. And in fact, you did use it on me. I am recognizing. <laughs> so I guess it works. <laughs> <laughs> and... I hope you got loads from that as with all of the other people on this episode. And if, again, if you want to hear more from my interview with Brandon, then do have a listen to it over on episode 147. And as I said, all the links are in the show notes to each of those episodes so that if you haven't heard them before, you can hear the full interview and get uh, all the other bits of value and advice and tips that they, they cover off in those shows. Well, in my humble opinion, there is tons of value in each of those little excerpts with real practical tips and tools that you can implement to connect with people at a deeper level and build a network that will be an incredible asset for the future. And do go and check out the work of these great people and find and connect with Devorah, with Stefan, with Peter and Brandon over at LinkedIn as well and let them know if what they said helped or resonated with you. Now, I obviously love to connect with you too. And if uh, it's speaking and storytelling or adding humor that you want to uh, improve on, then I've got some resources to share with you as well to help you grow your audience and sell more when you speak. And you can find all of those things over at saraharcher.co.uk. And as ever, if you're a regular listener and you get value from this show, I would be so grateful if you would take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. And uh, just a final word, it, there's just two more shows left uh, of Crunch. If you're in Brighton or Sussex or you're going to be in Brighton in the UK during May, I think it's the 19th and 20th of May, then do come along and have a look at the show and... Uh, Hopefully grab yourself a a laugh and a great evening out. That's it for me. Thank you for joining me. And I'll be back again next week to give you more speaking and marketing aha tools, tips and inspiration. In the meantime, 
don't you sit around, as I've said before, waiting for life to happen to you. Go out, make it happen for you. In other words, don't forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humor, and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.